Hey, everybody. Okay, so we hear from production directors all the time about how hard it is to train teams of volunteers. It's really hard to train them while still putting in your crazy hours at the church and then trust them to run a service on their own. Believe me, we get it. So we're here to help. MXU Teams is our training platform designed to train your team alongside you, giving you and your team the basic and advanced skills to mix a service, light a stage, shoot a scene, and lead a team. So go to mxu.rocks teams today and sign up to get access to all of our training. We'll see you there. And now let's get to today's podcast. You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to episode 56 of the MXU podcast. I'm here, as always, with Lee Fields. How you doing, Lee? I'm fantastic. I'm Jeff Sandstrom, by the way. Um, but we are thrilled today to be joined by Dave. What, Lee, why don't you introduce Dave? Because you guys have a longer personal relationship than I do. But we're excited, and I want you to be the one to unveil our guest today. I am thrilled because anytime I have spent any time with my friend Dave. It is a great time. He's just a good dude all around. We can talk about marching band drum lines, or we can talk about the latest and greatest technology and audio. But Dave Hatmaker is the global R&D manager for Yamaha Commercial Audio. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. Wow, I'm humbled to be here. Why <laughs> you guys? That is quite wow. a title. Anytime anybody has global in their title, I don't care what they do. They could be the global sales manager for you know, powdered sugar donuts. And I'm just, I'm all, I'm all in. You, you, well, that's it. You get global uh, in it and it's, it's a big deal. Yeah. I'm super humbled every day to, to have this job and this uh, role. And uh, let me just get this out. First thing is, uh, you know, I'm just a one guy that's a part of a team of lots and lots and lots and lots of people. So there's the, the R and D team that's in the U S the R and D team that's in Europe and, uh, all the uh, people that actually make the products and market the products and sell the products all over the world. So yeah, to have global in it is 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 quite wowing even to me. Awesome. So Dave, you before you were doing this, you have a very cool background. So talk us through like how you got to where you are now. Well, I was a I was a drummer in high school and junior college, and um, my brother and I started a little sound company in Ventura County area and uh, went to school at Long Beach State here in Southern California. And uh, while I was there, I found out that I was probably a much better sound guy than I was a drummer. Um, so I started working there literally at the college, even though I was playing a bunch of gigs and that. Um, I think that was when the the actual sound gig actually bit really hard on me and I, I couldn't ever kind of leave it, you know. So if I was the drummer... I was a part of the band. <clears throat> I felt like if I was the sound guy, I could be a almost a more important part of the band. Um, graduated there. And then the other big bite into me was uh, theme parks. So I went and uh, started working at Knott's Berry Farm just down the street. And uh, from there, got asked to join the Walt Disney Company. Um, at the time when I joined was 1987, and there was about 35 people. There was 35 technicians that worked there. I was one of 35. And when I left 19 years later, there was almost close to 400 techs. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it was fun. So in that realm, it was great being able to do uh, mixing five days a week, 
five times a day. Um, you get really good on, um, on, uh, doing gigs without sound checks because the park was always open. Um, I've built buildings. I've mixed astronauts, device presidents, uh, all sorts of bands on the way up television while they were there and then bands on the way down. So, um, <laughs> it was really crazy. Then during that time, um, about the time of the first O2Rs, <clears throat> we were building a show at, at Disneyland and consequently weird timing, but, um, I got a call from the people up the street in Buena Park to, Hey, you guys should come and and look at this little weird mixer thing that we have. And it was O2R. And I thought, well, that, that could work for live or, you know, kind of can be the, the interface between truly live and, and playing back from tape, which we were doing, we were doing 16 channel playback from tape. Um, and so interestingly, we got the first O2Rs and that's where my love of Yamaha really like was solidified, being able to know the guys, know the R and D people, know the people in Japan and uh, then, strangely, my last two years at Disneyland, I was being headhunted by Yamaha. Knocks on the door. Hey, we might have an opening for you. You might like this gig, whatever. And uh, boom, here I am. Now it's been 15 years being at, at Yamaha. So crazy through development of lots and lots of crazy cool things that I'm just amazed that you guys use every day, every day, every week, every hour. You know, it's been very cool. Okay, I got lots of stuff I want to talk about, about gain structure and busing and converters and, and why DAWs and live consoles, like all that. But uh, one of the first times we ever hung out, you told a story about the World of Color show and the design of that sound system oh, and the leakage <laughs> into the city of Anaheim and, and all that. Like, Can you retell that story? Yeah, so I don't think I'm giving up any secrets because everything that I'll try to talk to you guys about is actually running or or uh, or uh, available for purchase now. What's on the Yamaha side? But for the Walt Disney Company, about two years before I had left Disney, we were working on the show uh, World of Color, and we were going through designing and and whatever it got nixed can't happen, won't happen, can't happen. Now let's go back because we have to go back in the story till about 1997 when we were planning the little theme park upgrade. Um, that would be the new theme park. That would be um, California Adventure. Somebody, we don't know who in the company, um, had a had a something with the city. And, and there was some very detailed specification of when this new theme park got built, it couldn't exceed some volume level at the street. And I won't disclose that because that's that's probably insider trading. But I knew what it was, and it's it's a whisper, let's just say. <laughs> um, and it was uh, Disneyland could leak like a sieve. The fireworks could go off, no problem. Phantasma could play, no problem, whatever. But nothing in California could leak outside the property line. So... So then, great. So then I left, I left Disney and that show got turned on. So green lighted. And now there was nobody that was, that was on that project for, uh, the, the, um, when we'd opened California Venture, there was nobody that was on the project through that 
that case. So they brought me on as a consultant and I was a consultant between the Walt Disney Company and the city of Anaheim. And so I was having to look at um, the designers, which are all really great friends of mine. And they were all very, very, very good at what they did. Um, but I was looking at map studies and race studies and and the Meyer detail studies of what these were. And it, I think you guys all know that, you know, map makes the assumption of worst case, right? It just balloons. What what will that cluster of speakers do? And in every case, it would leak outside the, the property line. So and so, so everyone knows what we're talking about. Map is Meyer's... Um, SPL prediction software. So we're going to put this PA in this space and then it will tell you broadband or down to a frequency range, how far that goes and what, what the SPL is at those distances. Yeah. Thanks Lee. That's why you guys are awesome at this of finding out acronyms that, you know, might be, you know, common to somebody. And then you guys, whoa, whoa. So yes. The problem with the Walt Disney company is that if they had an issue like this in Florida, where they couldn't have SPL leak outside the property, they would just buy more property. Exactly. <laughs> right. So you got to be a good neighbor and they are very, they, they are fantastic neighbors, by the way, they really do try, you know, they try to make sure that the, the, um, cars exiting and getting to the park, you know, don't invade the, the neighbors. And they're, I, I can't say enough still about the Walt Disney Company. Big but in Anaheim, there's not a whole lot of property at your disposal. So that wasn't a great solution. Yeah, truly. <laughs> and then we were, you know, do, where where do you, is it literally at the property line? Does that include, do we include the, 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 um, the walkway? <laughs> do we include the sidewalk? Is it the street and the street adjacent to the street? No, no, no. So it was the property line. So we couldn't send those those drawings to the to the city we had to actually start at where the where the human was going to consume the show where the people were going to watch the show know what SPL they were going to do go back to the pole say what you know it was backwards math usually you start at the speaker and and you get to the consumer no we started at the consumer the the viewer and went back to the pole and then did the race study from the pole to the street to convince them and I was a mathematician do it on my side. And there was an equal to me guy at the city that was doing the math on his side. And when they converged, when the X was, was in the spot, then they could do the show and it was great. And by the way, we never leaked. We don't ever leak. World of color does not leak. And so if you have not been to California adventure, world of color happens in paradise pier, which is on yes, sir. the Southeastern side of the park, uh -huh. I think. And on and the other side, South, it shoots south. The other side of Paradise Pier, it's a massive thoroughfare. It's not like any of the theme parks where they're out in these rural areas. I mean, it is, you know, 30-story hotels and restaurants, and there's a CVS and a residence inn, like, right yeah. behind this stuff, right? <laughs> so it is not your normal theme park setting if you've not been to Southern California. And then where the yeah. line arrays. So we want to get to 105C at the customer, at the viewer, at the guest. We want to get to 105C. And yet at the property line, it's below, let's say, 60. What? Like, yeah. wow. And, and what was the distance? I mean, a couple hundred feet? You know, that's been a, such a long time. I, I run across a drawing of it every so often when I'm looking at hard drives or whatever, and I go, wow, that's that's pretty cool. It's not as far as you think, though. It's, yeah. not, it's not thousands of feet. It's hundreds of feet. Yeah. So I always, I always thought that story was really cool. So what ended up happening? Was it a new subwoofer design just to accommodate that? 
Um, yes, and that's probably deeply proprietary. They, the yeah. the company did some very clever, interesting things. Yeah, let's that that would that would that would probably be. You should probably bring a Disney guy on for yeah, that. Yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> Well, speaking yeah. of clever, interesting things, you've been a part of a lot of those for Yamaha. And so we want to talk about some of that stuff too, obviously. Um, so it's it's funny. I mean, when you think of Yamaha as a company, especially commercial audio, it's the history is so storied and legendary. And, you know, anybody who ever worked on sort of O2R, O1V, like some of those first right smaller format consoles all the way through PM1D, PM5D, and now the PM line as it stands today, yeah. you know, has always had um, just great technology and great support and all that. So cheers for all that. But man, we, we got to dig into some of this, some of this stuff because there's so much to talk about. Yeah, I don't even know if I'm allowed to say it. We can edit this out. But Jeff and I both have been a part of some NDAs with you guys that were fun projects. Yeah. Right. And, and, and we thank you very much. I, I don't, I don't know that we could, would want to not talk about that because, um, that's a great jumping off point of, um, you know, our R and D team, uh, we act as the first voice of the customer because we've been in churches and we have designed churches or we have been done the rock and roll gig and we have done the tours and we have done the cruise ships and we have done um, little gigs and big gigs and we are drummers and guitar players. And yet once we think that we have a kind of a cool design, then then we go out to our NDA non-disclosure partners such as yourselves and uh, we hope that you honor the NDA when we do show us something to you and you go, oh, that's either really cool or ah, if you just did it this way. So the collaboration is really big and cool too um, with real users that are using it all the time. And we collect that feedback and then that goes to Japan. We get better products. And funny to put Lee on the spot is once upon a time I met, I Lee and I have not known each other for a long time. And and it even goes back to even before that is even, you know, Pastor John Jackson yeah. Long, long, long ago. So giving John a shout out. Uh, um, I had known Lee as a great mixer and a guy that would tour around with an LS9 doing uh, Lincoln Brewster forever. So there'd be a insert console du jour of whatever was at the festival. And then Lee would come in with his LS9 and put it there and and rock everybody's world. Whoa, how could you do that with an Alice Nine, man? How could you do it? You know, <laughs> those were those were great, great shows, really great shows. Um, but I had a uh, Japan had given me a task of of make a make a um interactive yet simple tone control. And 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 many days of agonizing of what would this be? What would this be? What would this be? Well, could I just do the workflow of how I do every gig that I start out with vocals? Can I can I put a high pass filter on something? Can I scoop the low mids out? And then can I, depending on if it's a guy or a girl, can I can I put a little you know five ish k in or a little eight ish k in whatever? And I sent that back to Japan. I said, "Hey, could could we have this do this in a in a stack of controls?" And they said, "Yes, it's plausible." And I said, "Okay, well, I 
that happened. I happened to be at a trade show and I found Lee here, sign the non-disclosure. And I'm going to show you the, this thing. We didn't even have the word one knob. I don't think at the time, but Hey, it, it, does this look like your workflow that it could be to do a, to do a vocal mic? And you said, I said that that is my EQ on my vocal mic. <laughs> I said, I, yes, I high pass it to 140 or 220 or, or whatever it is. And then I cut a bunch out of 280 or 330 in there. And then, yeah, I like a little top shelf there at 8K. So, right. Yes, that's where I land. <laughs> yeah. So, to, and if, so weeks, to piggyback on that, the most recent NDA thing of this ilk that I was a part of was in sort of the early stages of the TF series console where I was in a hotel room with Nolan Rossi, who was with Crowder at the time and Harold, oh, yeah, Rubens, yeah. Harold Rubens, who was, you know, Stephen Curtis Chapman's guy at the time. And the three of us are standing around looking at a TF five and the one knob feature. And all of us are going, Oh my gosh, for a volunteer at a church, just starting out to be able to click this and just keep turning and all of what you would do just gets more and more or less and less. This is brilliant. And I remember uh, the Yamaha guys who were there were saying, yeah, it took us a while to convince the guys in Japan about this concept because they are, you know, just their engineering mindset is such that it has to be so precise. And so for something to be subtle like this and to move with these sort of algorithms based on a particular model of a microphone and what somebody might do who's this type of engineer versus somebody who would do this because they're this type of engineer. Some of that just did not compute for the Japanese engineers because they were like, no, this is correct. And then you guys could go back and go, yeah, but it doesn't feel right. And that conversation of art versus science, it was just fascinating to be a part of. So right. maybe you could talk a little more about that. Yeah, the cooler even part of that is it digs a little deeper is it's not a morphing EQ. You know, it does it does the Lee Fields or the Dave Hatmaker workflow. It does the Jeff Sandstrom workflow. Here's here's what you do every time. The first thing you do is high pass filter, blah, 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 as we just said. But all that matters. And that's what we do every time. So why not just do it every time, right? So if you find out that your lead singer is a 67, He'll be a 67 all the time. He's not kind of a 67. He's a 67. Yep. Then if you want to jump off that, it's easy to get out of it. You can make your decision, whatever that is. You can make your EQ and then put it back into one knob. Now it's intensity. Now it's your it's your intensity plus or minus. Yeehaw, howdy. And I know you guys, <laughs> uh, you guys, I think Lee took some some PM5s and a PM3 now. And and I, I don't know, have you have you mixed on Ravage, Jeff? I have, yeah, a couple okay. times. So now if you go into, in the last version up, if you go into, I have it open in editor. If you go into your EQ screen, hit the, the jumper, the lower left-hand corner jumper, which takes you out to the kind of the full screen look of the EQ. Down in the lower right-hand corner is multiband operation, and you can hit boost. And so anything that's above the line, if you swipe up, it, it will boost just the things that you have boosted or cut or all, and all is based on the one knob. Yeah. I remember mixing a show, I think we were at a weekend at your church at Eastside oh, in yeah, Anaheim, yeah. and you came back to front of house, and you're like, hey, can I take a picture of that vocal EQ? And I... 
I pulled it up on the screen and I think you went like, oh, you made a reaction. And I think I now know that it was confirming. Exactly. Like, wow, that's that's yep. a lot like mine. And I did that at the Grand Ole Opry too. I was sitting in front of house with, with those guys there. It was really quite fun. And he's swiping through and I go, wait, wait, stop, stop. Hey, is that your background vocals? Yeah. Is that, yeah, that's my, my vocal screen. Can I just take a picture of that? Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. And, and it was like nine out of 10 were that plus or minus a few dB, right? It's, you know, I'm, I'm not, not going to be a hundred percent of the time, but, but it was, it, let's say it was shockingly close. Okay. We're good with that. Yeah. Well, yeah. and we tell people all the time, it's, it's not to say that there aren't times that you have to be specific for this particular singer or this particular acoustic guitar or this particular snare drum, but there are trends. And that's the whole point of this conversation about one knob and about the presumptions that you can make about EQ is that, hey, general boxiness in a tom or an acoustic guitar is going to be in this frequency range. General sibilance is going to be in this range. General muddiness is going to be in this range. So we all, as engineers, make those choices every time we encounter one of those sources. So why not make it simpler for an inexperienced or less experienced volunteer to be able to go, okay, let me just use this preset here as a starting point. And it just makes getting there so much faster and so much easier. Yeah. And, you know, I'm always one to talk about the gear and technology, dude. I love that. I can talk all day. We could, you know, this could be a 10 hour podcast of like geekdom of gear, but really what we were trying to do. And I think what we should all strive to do as sound guys or, or people that are on, on the team, the tech teams is we should get the band to be the band faster right? So anything that we can get out of their way so that they can do the make music part, we can all discuss, well, is it 315 or 250? Or we can all have that geek thing, but they're on most, most, uh, I would say that I, I, I would have to ask you guys how many people are, are on in-ears, but uh, it's certainly more than the trend, right? So people are on in-ears. So they're, they're, they're blocked out the outside world and they've got to get their monitor mix up faster so that they can start their rehearsal at 8.15 in the morning so that they don't have to be there at 6 in the morning, right? So they've got to, they've got to be a band very quickly. And, and how do we do that? What's the workflow of just getting that there? Well, if you can get it 80% there, then we can minutia into the 215 or, or, or is it, is it, what filter are we putting in that, right? Is it 300 or 200? The drummer just wants to play, man. And he's listened to a click and he's listening to the loops and he's listening to the count offs and he doesn't have time to go, my snare drum's boxy. He just goes, let's just play, you know? So anything that we can do to get them up faster, I think, I think we're doing ourselves a service as a collective group um, to, to be the support to the band. I love that. And I love that phrase. Let the band get to be the band faster. That's right. That's gold. Yeah, it 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 is. And again, so I I, I read I, I listen to the podcasts and I, I read the blogs of of all the church sound things and this snare drum mic or that snare drum mic or snare drum over or under or kick in or out or whatever. Dude, let the drummer be the drummer, man. <laughs> let the drummer be the drummer. The drummer, awesome. does the drummer know that it's a Black Beauty or a Yamaha brass snare or whatever? I don't know. I don't know. Well, you guys have house drums, right? So that should sound like last week, kind of. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay, so 
Uh, back in December, you and I had two days of phone calls, and I just called you out of the blue, and I was like... <laughs> and I ponder that all the time still now, yes. Yeah, so we had a lengthy discussion about uh, gain structure, preamps, bits, sample rate, uh, metering, and all that. So let's kind of do round two for that for everybody, because I think it'll be a really interesting. I... I called you and said, what is analog zero on Yamaha really? Like, what is it really? And that led us down a rabbit trail of, of lots of things. And it had to do with, you know, me not wanting to overload buses. I felt like when I was getting to the very top of the bus, like if I send all my drums and, you know, I'm hammering those preamps, by the time they all get to the same bus, you're, it's all additive. So I'm, I got like no more headroom in these buses and I felt like they were squishy and all that. And then you took me to school on how that actually works. So Yamaha gain structure, what's analog zero? And let's talk about metering first. Yeah. Let me say before we jump off here and some of it'll be Yamaha for Yamaha's sake, but this is now we're we're going into Dave's opinion, right? This okay. is maybe not founded in in what Yamaha is. And, it, and let let me be the first to say, on on brand agnostic of of whatever gear you're using, if you like it and you like the sound of it, you've won. It's awesome. That's good. Then we can get into the geekness of what might improve your sound. But if you if we think that electrically it's improving and you don't like the sound, go back to what you like. It's still let's let's make music, you know, let's be artistic with the tools that we have. Then let's go down the rabbit hole. So once upon a time, still back to the Walt Disney Company, I set the console up wrong with a very distinct reason of why to do it that way. I was all about the speaker system in the venue, and could I drive that speaker system with 1.2 volts? So I'd come out with a voltmeter and whatever console it was, and I didn't care. I was literally brand agnostic to the console. I could, I could set up any console. I could plug into a parade pole or at any venue. I could get a voltmeter out, and I could set it to 1 volt. 400 hertz, and I could get that system to just insanely rock. Then we'd pull all the mic preamps back, and 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 we could do it without a sound check. Okay, fair enough. So can you explain to everybody why 1.2 volts was your goal? That's, that's where zero VU was on just about everybody's console, plus or minus, plus or minus. You know, those were the days that things weren't quite as exacting as now. You know, is it digital? zero is it fs metering blah 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 that who cares but it was just that understanding that analog zero was the goal analog zero was the goal yep analog zero vu at 1.2 or 1.4 we picked one just because it was easy you know everybody's voltmeter read it the same and so that's that's where we went so now come fast forward to yamaha um i've heard colder on the lower side gained mic preamps and i've heard to the to the turning of them to the right side into the red until they clip and uh i will say i'm i'm quite a zealot on run your mic preamps as hot as you can if you hear or the tearing silk you've gone too far but up yeah. till then that's that's doing the mic preamp the justice right that's the getting the most 
uh, I guess the the term was old school is you're getting the most iron, right? You're 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 lighting up the the parts that are in the mic preamp. Then now we can digital gain back, which is then that started the rabbit hole with with uh, Lee going, yeah, but I think I'm hitting bus compression. Well, you might be because then come to find out, Lee's doing a filter at. 105 hertz at like plus 12 and then he's going into a plug-in and that plug-in's doing something with adding low end and yeah when you add up those bits you you add them all up and and you hit broken yeah there's yeah. a lot of places to break it in the right in in the chain right uh yeah and then and then you put four or five of them or eight or ten of them together and you've you've you the sigma light starts coming on on the bus and and you're you're you've blown out the bus. Yep, it's possible. It is possible. But that's why we have back to Yamaha. That's why we have a giant lot of DSP that can take that through. So the the case of Lee is a little outside the realm of normal domain, right? My air quotes. Um can you? Yes. When you run out, you have. Yes. And and you ran out. Okay. So how do you get that back? Well, that's why we have digital attenuation and we have it several places on the console. Um, I would say still, like we said, what happens if I just turn the fader down? Well, do you turn the fader down and you like it? Yeah, I love it. Then there's where you should be. <laughs> that's that's yeah. kind of the easiest, that's kind of the easiest workaround. So yeah, uh, this this um, digitalness or this electronics, it, it's you know, it's not panacea all the time. You can absolutely get yourself to where you've run out, and you probably did. And that okay. was your suggestion. I I told you my workaround was I got the drum sounding the way I want, but then I ran out of room on the bus, so I went and made a DCA, and I just called it choke. Sent those drum faders to that, pulled it down eight dB or whatever. And then just buried it and just went away. Because if you use the digital trim, well, that was pre-EQ, pre-SYNS, exactly. pre-everything. Pre yep. So then your I'd have to go back. And, and your gates. Right. and uh huh. Right. But then you said another suggestion. Well, maybe Dynamics 2, turn that on and use that compressor output. And just that could be a, that's that's a way to trim at the end of the chain too. So that was yeah. that was another option. Yeah. Okay. So, so for guys really who are struggling with this, let's, let's, let's ask that question. So... Is all trim created equal, or is there a point at which using that trim is better than others? In other words, is it just the digital trim at the input? Is it the output of dynamics? Is it a DCA? Like, how would you? And I know every every circumstance is different, but is there if somebody's struggling with this, is there a priority of how they should think about this? Yeah, here's the. Um you know, we're gonna we're gonna get into poetry here. Now you're you're like deep into the the realms of that. Um, I think in practice, and I've not been at a church like Lee, so he he gets to have the same PA with roughly the same band and roughly the same sound and roughly the same amount of people every week. So you can kind of listen to it Thursday versus Sunday morning versus. Saturday afternoon versus you know all all your your things. So you you guys harken back to Disneyland a long time ago where you could kind of do a quick check on those things. <clears throat> so you can listen to this versus this this show versus the next show. Um, I don't have that luxury. So 
if it was me and I was giving you a suggestion, if you struggle with this, I would probably start over. I would I would get my mic pre's as as robust and 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 hot as possible, and then I would d them back. I would digital gain them back, and then I would do your whatever plugin you're doing and and your comp and your gate, and then at least that keeps that part um, um, in one place that you can see it in the path without without changing the the digital gain on something that's um, an air quotes again, fictitious. So yeah. that dynamics two becomes, well, that's where I'm pulling it back. Well, no, no volunteer is going to know well, why'd Lee pull that back. That looks like an error. That looks like a, a mistake. So I'm going to put it back right. to zero. Right. So, and so does my choke DCA. That's like, what's that? What, oh, don't what, worry about it. Don't touch it. Don't yeah, look over here. Why did he miss this in a queue? Why is the DC down minus eight? And why is it recall safe? What this seems weird. Right. Let me let me fix that. You know, are are you fixing it? Air quotes again. Uh, yeah, I I because would, I the what were you? Uh, I left that one important piece. I was willing to down my preamps back. I was just going to go. Okay, I'm going to go minus eighteen on the drums, and you were like. This was an opinion, but I'm glad you told me this. You're like, I don't know, man. This sounds pretty good, pretty hot. You know, juice them up, man. Juice them yeah. up. Yeah, that's Dave's opinion. That is Dave's opinion. But I've I've watched and listened to many that have done it before me. Again, console agnostic. Um, if if you run out of mic preamp, you'll know it. But until you do, mm, go for it. Yeah, because There's a guy Yamaha or not, I mean, I think Yamaha, Digico, SSL, Avid. All those drum inputs, especially, are going to sound better at minus 12, minus 9, minus 6 than they are at minus 18, minus 21. It's just, it's a function of gain structure fundamentally. Yeah, and there's a and there's the function of the mic pre of just what it does. It's a wire with gain, right? So there's, okay, fair enough. But there's also the color that happens with the mic preamp. And, and I, let me, I'm going to, I'm going to really try to let you guys do the, the branding, but let's say there were three boutique mic preamps that you could buy and that are used all the time in, in rock and roll and venues and recording. Um, one of them is going to be colorful, bold. One of them is going to become uh, devoid of color, wire with gain. And one of them might be pristinely um, um, adding air, right? All three of those sound very different and they will sound very different with the amount of, of actual knob that you turn, the amount of gain that you turn. So Yamaha tries to stay agnostic. We try to be wire with gain. Um, that being said, the RPIO series for Ravage, that's a whole different, that's a whole different animal because we've added the um, digital transformer and, and the, the Neve Silk love on that. But we try to be a very good sounding mic preamp. We try to be, uh, an, an agnostic, uh, good quality, quiet mic preamp as you go with gain. Um, but it does sound different the harder you hit it. And, and that's, um, an artistic thought, not a technical thought, but you, because you are using more mic preamp, you're also using more D to uh, a to D converter. Exactly. That's where I was going to go next. So we're going to go down that rabbit hole. People yes. say, oh, I hate this mic preamp in XYZ, or I hate this mic preamp, or I love this mic preamp. Well, 
it's how do you how do you know it's just the mic preamp, right? Well, I'm running line level and I use this boutique mic preamp and I like it better. Yeah, but you're still going through the mic preamp. You're still you're still going through that. And why isn't it nobody nobody picks on the well that A to D converter is terrible or wow I love this A to D converter. Um, you, you you can't make that that assumption that the mic preamp sounds bad, right? Do you when you turn the mic preamp and it goes okay, that might be a bad mic preamp. Okay, so they should have worked a little harder to get it quiet. But they're all pretty good. They're all pretty good. Actually, I've I've mixed bands on some things that I didn't want to mix them on, but I found it fun to do it as an R&D project of, okay, let me get around this competitor console. Hmm. I couldn't say that the mic preamps were bad or the mic preamps were good. Did I, did I have a good show? Yeah. And did I get paid? Yeah. Great. Rock on. It's all good. You know that. So where do we go with that? So I, I would still, I would, I would implore everybody to run the mic preamp hotter than they may think. And again, if you like it, great. And if you like it going, harkening back to the, to the, the TF, or if you want to do it on a, on a, on a digital meter, digital FS is, Minus 16 to minus 12 is great. Um, if you can go higher than that and you know he's never going to, that 10-inch Tom's never going to go um, make it distort, sure, go to minus three. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Red yeah, is so- not bad until you don't like it anymore. Um, there was a guy that used to tour with a Beatles band, and he would take his own console out with him also. It happened to be a Yamaha at the time. But, but they would do... Um, like deep in the third set, they would do um, "Revolution" by the Beatles, and and on the John mic and on the John guitar, he would way overdrive the mic preamp. To it was redding all the time. The channel, the peak light was going on all the time, and then he would D that back, and it was great because revolution. So he was really getting that out of a digital console, right? How do you get that distortion out of the digital console? Because he was he was he was being very hard on the front end without without messing it up in the A to D converter. Interesting. Yeah. Well, interesting. anybody who's heard that rec- the Beatles record of that song, that is the sound that you need if you want to sound like the Beatles, because that is the sound of his voice in that song. Yeah, it's really cool. And so you can't not listen to that song on the radio anymore without hearing that little bit of destruction. Yeah, dude. Wow. That's awesome. Wow. So anybody that's in a Beatles cover band, there you go. I've given up the secret. Sorry. So another question I asked you was about uh, conversion and bits. And at what point is line level also the point when you're getting all the bits out of the converter and does that matter and things like that? And yeah, I don't think it matters and we'll never know. And everybody does it a little different. Um, there's a little bit of difference in, in what converter is everybody using? And I think there's five or six companies that do it and they all behave a little differently. Then if you're using an external one, that behaves even more differently. Good or bad, by the way, good or bad. We, we could have this discussion on word clock as well, good or bad, um, or better or fine and better or fine and maybe not as better. Um, it, it only matters until it doesn't matter. If you use enough bits early on, I think, I think theoretically... That's where you want it to do. And as it truncates bits on the 
on the as it goes through the the digital stream, you know, um, floating point, non-floating point. Um, uh, if, if you if you get rid of a zero and it's bit number one, there is no way you're going to hear that, right? And that's that's not that's not um, a Yamaha competitor or whatever. And I don't know what we ever do with that. It really it really doesn't matter. It's it's that's literally insignificant. Use the bits further upstream as much as you can to get into the pipe. Is what people most people think sounds better. Yeah, yeah. But you, then again, you, I say forty-four-one sixteen-bit. A lot of CDs were sold, you know. So, um, yeah. And I'm not one to jump on the bandwagon of of MP3 is bad. I'm I'm not. Uh, there's it's all about the song, right? And so we can we can talk about the forest and the trees and 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 that um, put me on the spot a little bit, but it. it it matters and it doesn't all at the same time. That makes well, sense. Well, and and it's a lot different nowadays than it was 10 or 15 years ago, too. I think generally speaking, everybody's converters, everybody's preamps have all come a long way. Exactly. That's the case. Yeah. So could we all go back and mix a 16-bit CD anymore? I don't know. It's funny. Every time I think about this conversation, I think about Alanis Morissette, Jagged Little Pill. Right. Right. 16-bit blackface ADATs with tapes that look like they came out of a VCR, and it sells 16 million copies in the U.S., 33 million worldwide, making it the best-selling album by a female artist. So, right. And there was no like double bus compression, and not that that's wrong. I mean, we could, we could go down that rabbit hole, too. Um, you go... Wow, how how did they make those records? Wow, I agree with you completely. Okay, let's move on to a different conversation. I want to talk for a minute about clocking and whether or not an external clock helps or makes a difference at all. So back in the day, the first time I mixed on an M7 console, I was at a, a conference and the production company had a Big Ben clock by apogee as an external clock driving their m7 and they swore that it made the console sound better and i just was curious like okay how do you feel about that what are your thoughts yeah well dave and i talked about that specifically because when cl came out i asked like hey what do you think about these black line clocks and this is kind of a trend and your words to me were our clock is right it is doing the job right if you put an external clock, it's just going to be different. It's not that you needed the clock for it to be right. Do you remember that conversation? I do exactly, and 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 I I think then I'm gonna now I'm gonna put my my Yamaha hat back on. Is is we've gotten a lot of slag in the in the past of well their word clocks are not so great whatever. So I went back to service one day when I had just gotten to Yamaha, and I said, hey, um, just for giggles, how what's what's the word on our word clock Do, have we have we um have we had any fail or anything and they go why do you know of one wait no that's not what i asked i said how 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 are those how, how's that chipset that makes up the word clock how, how is that and they go well let's see i i don't think that we've ever had one go bad so how could that be a bad word clock when we've never had one go bad i think that's a pretty good word clock actually yeah. uh do do other word clocks sound different 
I'm going to, I'm going to use that term. Uh, Yes, they do. And, and the more things that you can clock as a system to your word clock, if you, if you uh, deploy your, your, all your, your digital products to, to sync to one word clock. Yeah. That can make a pretty big difference. Oh wait, that's Dante now. Sorry. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So Dante just does that. Bless their hearts. They're so cool about that. So then now, yeah. And can you plug an external clock into Dante? Yeah. Will it sound different? Yeah. And if you like it again, like I've said in the my paragraph number one, if you like it, love it. If you don't like it, that's okay too. It's it's okay. It's a good time to be alive. Yeah. Okay. So speaking of failures, you're that's a perfect segue into the next thing I want to talk about. And Yesterday, Jeff and I were on the phone with uh, one of your competitors, R&D teams, about okay. this. And we're going we're gonna to talk to them, too. <laughs> but it's um, the conversation about DAWs for live events. And our last podcast, or two podcasts ago, I guess, you know, both Jeff and I said, we're willing to change our minds on this. But at the end of the day, we don't think it's wise to use a DAW for live mixing. And even after our conversation yesterday with, with a friend, I... I'm not, I haven't changed my mind, but I'm also okay now saying, okay, using Pro Tools or, or Logic or anything else 10 years ago to mix live, that is just not even an option for people. Um, things have gotten a lot better and a lot more stable, but I still don't think it's a great idea, but it all has to do with failure and redundancy. So I'm curious to know your thoughts on that in general. And then I also want to know, what is it about a live console that makes it so stable? I know there's things like, you know, there's two power supplies, but like the audio engine, the operating system, and all, and all those things are built not to fail, I think. Whew. All right. Hold that, hold that second half. Let's, let's, okay. let's tackle a bit of the first half. Yep. Um, can you? Absolutely. The question is, should you? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, if you're already doing it, uh, welcome to the club. You're awesome. Uh, great. Thumbs up. Um, should you do it? I, I'm, I'm, I don't want to get into this. Uh, I'm too old. Stay off my grass, you know, get off my grass, you know, right. uh, that, that whole thing. So, um, again, can you? Yes, absolutely. Do you want to? If you want to, have a good time. If you don't want to, ah, man, there's a lot of hardware. And, and, and there's hardware in every strata of, um, of finances, too. So to just say that you can do it because it's the cheapest, I don't know that that's ever right. Um, yeah. So... If you have a DAW and if you have some faders and you've you've cobbled it together and and that um, why not just use a console? Um, right. Um, I don't even know anymore if it's a stability issue. Um, and I know it's no secret that that Yamaha um, we have a Cubase and Steinberg product. Right. And we're so convinced that that engine and kernel um, will make sure that you get every take and it will make sure that everything gets recorded and everything. We have pre-record function on it. So once you've hooked it up and you go, 
oh, Lee started talking. Oh, man, I can hit the space bar, and it'll start recording from some seconds before. Yep. Um, but it's like adding plugins to anything. Can you? Yes. Um, Is it that simple, though? I feel like that's... I feel you like... Stumped, if- you stumped the band a little bit, but I have been um, pondering it in that um, it just doesn't seem... It just doesn't seem as... Um, it's flight simulator. I don't know. It's not like you're actually... Do it. You're always so screen based, and the icons aren't made for live. And um, you know, have you guys have you guys both mixed on on a PM5? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. there's a lot of studies that go into how that how how your eye works on the screen versus the icon versus where your hand lands for the fader. So that all matters. Um, so that again, so that you can get to mixing the show. If you're on a on a um, very large touch screen, you know we've seen them at every every year at the NAMM show. Oh, you can do this, or you can grab a virtual knob and you can you can yep. always mix on the screen. That's all great until you miss. And did I go to channel twelve, which is the acoustic guitar, not channel thirteen, as the lead guitar? So the lead guitar s- starts making a solo, and you hear acoustic guitar. You know. Um, I'm not a naysayer, and we're, we'll probably get to that point where it's fifty-fifty, and maybe even software DAWs go go a, take take the lead. Um, there's one notable one out of a company that's um, out of Las Vegas. I, I don't want to say the name, but but that that um, system is out mixing um, Elton John's monitors, right? So it's a right. DAW based platform super stable i think great. i've i've moved in the last few weeks from you should never do this to okay if you're going to do it have some redundancies in place yeah and then how do you redundant it that's a whole nother let's let's not even do the redundant part so now let's go into the hardware thing so so there's a there's a couple of schools of thought in hardware and some go completely FPGA, some is FPGA and, and DSP, and ours are are mostly DSP because we can absolutely be convinced that the throughput through the console from, from the beginning to the end is X amount of time and it's X amount of frequency response, right? So the, 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 the timing matters, getting it through the console matters, getting it uh, through the console inertly matters, colorless or colored if you if you add colors but when when we the manufacturer get to decide and define what that is whatever manufacturer you are you're you're building the product you're not cobbling things together you're not saying i'm going to get a mac mini and it'll run this software and then i have these ios and then i have these d, d to a converters and i uh We've put it all in there, and yeah. that's that's why it costs more. I think it does cost more because we've put it in there. And then, who are you going to call? We have an eight hundred number that you can call, right? You, you, you call that guy, and Lee calls that guy, and that guy goes, "Oh, here, oh, here's what you did. I, I can help you with that." But if you're going, it's somebody's front end versus somebody's. Is it is it a 
Is it a Mac problem? Did, did you change firmware? Did you change, did you update your operating system? And then that made it so that the, your, your control hook didn't work. Your kernel won't load. Right. Uh, so again, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that guy to say you shouldn't do it and it doesn't work. I'm just saying I'm the guy that says we make really robust hardware. And by the way, we have really robust software that works too. And if you want to do it, go ahead and, 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 and enjoy. If you do it and you bought it and it works and you're that guy, great. But I'm going to tell you that a TF works all the time and a CL works all the time and a PM works all the time. And, and, and therefore the other manufacturers as well, you know? Yeah. I think I'm with you there. It's I'm a little more uh, okay being a naysayer because I feel like part of Jeff and I's job is to defend the church and and our tribe and our people. And when I see people putting themselves in vulnerable situations, I don't like it. So I I tend to be like, no, don't do that. It's going to crash, and your pastor's going to be mad at you. You're going to lose trust, and you may end up losing your job if you have failures over and over. Like, to, please don't. But now I'm like, okay. If you're going to do it, we got to talk about redundancy because uh, my console's got two power supplies. And if it does crash, there are scenarios where it's still going to pass audio. So, you know, th- those are the big differences to me. Like talking about workflow and, you know, well, if I change this setting in a DAW, audio is going to interrupt or there's not snapshots. Well, I'm learning over the past week because I said I was going to dig into this that some DAWs now will let you do automation and Mm -hmm. in pro tools now you can add a plug-in without losing audio so i do in some ways feel like daws are becoming more like consoles probably and that's i think i think that's that's based on how the um how how more robust the operating systems have gotten um how how fast the processors have become yeah i do yeah. You know, and I, I could see a, a scenario, and I'm not asking you to reveal anything here. I'm just ranting, where our live consoles, the DSP is getting so powerful that things like auto-tune, drum replacement, like all that stuff could be on the table soon. We would have never thought that we'd have multiband compression built in a console or a Bricasti reverb and right? y- you know, all that in consoles. Even five years ago, it was hard to think that, and here we are and we have it. So why not think? Well, auto tune on a live console could be right around the corner. Yeah, and I don't want to. I don't want to parse your words a little bit. But when you say, "Oh, now we just have it," well, those things are very difficult. That, that's <clears throat> welcome to the welcome to the hardware side. Is is yeah, getting a getting a multi band compressor is very difficult. Yeah, and getting a dynamic noise suppression that's very difficult, right? Uh, and then, like you said, the Bricasti thing, and and that was in those cases, it's the Bricasti people saying, "Wow, this is very difficult." Yes, let's see what we can do, and in the parameters of what can we do, and we put it in, and now it's very stable and it and it works, and and you don't have to think about, oh, I'm going to bring another one to the gig, or I'm going to have my backup one to the gig. Uh, um, they're they are that stable that again, to your church guys at nine o'clock in the morning, it just works. Right. Yeah. And and like I said about the music part, and and this is my my opinion also is is we all get into the to the what does the snare drum sound like, and really it should all be about everything from that day from 
from the guy that's that's helping with the parking lot to the daycare to the to the everybody to the to the 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 high school minister to the drummer to the worship leader is it should all get to the point where we have set up for the pastor and the pastor Mike comes on talks right <clears throat> and he leads yep. the people if we don't have that uh, confidence in when the pastor comes up and he's not upcut you know he doesn't start talking and the congregation ears like that right that that's never good that that doesn't work for anybody so we want to get it to the point where it's successful every time. And if it's not the pastor, it's the CEO at a, when he's talking to the, the, um, his, his company or to a marketing pitch, we just want to get to the point where it always works that tech is, we, we shouldn't even be involved as tech, right? The tech just, it just happens. It just happens, man. It just, it's perfect. There's no feedback and there's no anything. It just works. And I don't know that the DAW solution is there yet. But again, <clears throat> if you're doing it and you're successful and you're making money and it works, great. It's awesome. Well, my biggest thing comes down to two things. The first of which is just fail-safe reliability. Uh-huh. The reason that I haven't been speaking over the last few minutes on this conversation is because in the middle of a sentence, my computer had a kernel panic and shut down and i no had way. no i had no choice but to leave you guys restart thank goodness you guys were able to keep talking um but i had to completely restart my machine i lost my section of the isolated video recording so we'll have to go back to the zoom to be able to extract that audio and blah 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 because of a failure in my computer I don't wow. Want, There's I don't the want, real time for real. I, wow. I don't, I don't <laughs> want to have that kind of crash happen during the sermon or during the worship set. It's like, I, I get it that people are using this stuff and that, it, that they're having good success with it. And that's fine. I think we're getting there. I'm not going to be the guy who trusts it every day, every week, every performance, because it's just there, there are too many other things that this computer has to do to process what we're, what we're trying to accomplish than does a purpose-built console that has years of R&D and reliable support and all those other things that you've talked about. So for me, it's like, it's not about can we or can't we do this? It's should we or should we not? And I think right now, for me, it's not there yet. Okay, and I know some of you are thinking, yeah, but what about your LV1? That's a DAW. No, it's not. It's a software-based mixer, but it's a it's a console. It's not the same as mixing front of house from a DAW because you get the built-in support with Waves. You get their years of expertise and training and all of those things that we're talking about. Yeah, and let me say, now I'm going to put my Yamaha hat squarely back on, is is we we don't we don't just say that lightly that that is that is the way that the company is structured that even to the how we design the consoles and whether it's a 99 dollar mg mixer all the way up to rivage right <clears throat> audio comes first so the sound passing through the chipset is the absolute literal first priority and then control and then the display and then meters, right? So meters come last because that's the animated part, right? That's the part that's always, you know, uh, it's always in movement. Yeah, but it's always in movement 
What does it sound like? We should, we should want it to sound first. And then I'm going to look down at what the meters are doing. Right. So, um, people will, will say, Oh, when we're in the iPad app, the, the meters lag a little bit. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want? What well, I want, <laughs> I want the audio to go through the console as fast as possible. I don't want to slow that down any, I don't want to drop a frame or a millisecond or a microsecond. I want it to come screaming out of the console as fast as we can get it out. Yes. Amen. And then in my interaction with, I want to be interacting with whatever I'm controlling, just like a car. I turn the radio on, radio comes on, I change the channel. It's great. But meters like the, the, your, your, um, your, uh, speedometer on the car, that's kind of not really real time. The speedometer I'm going 35 now it's 35. I'm going 50 as a 50, right? So it's not preemptively thinking about, Oh, he might go to 60. So I'll, whatever. We're used to that. We get very used to that. Um, it's okay. But just know as, as our corporate culture is, it's really about getting the audio through literally as fast as we can all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. Okay. So keep your Yamaha hat on. Yo, I don't think many people would disagree with this statement that Yamaha historically and currently have the most reliable hardware on the planet when it comes to live audio. The reputation for Yamaha always is, yeah, it will always work. Why is that? What is it about Yamaha and the engineering that it just works? So with my Yamaha hat on, you're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Um, they have years worth of people that, that they, they all really know that our, our next people that we get into the Yamaha camp have already known at how reliable we are. And that's, that's true about everything in the company is if you have a 10 year old FG guitar dreadnought, it's a great guitar and you'll be able to give your kids that and your grandkids that, and probably pass it along to your grandkids. Yet yeah, a trumpet is, is, is a longevity trumpet. It, it is, it, it, it's just, that's what we do. It's, it's cool to have a, to work for a company that has a, of course, a, a quarterly plan, a one-year plan, five-year plan, a 10-year plan, a 25-year, 50-year plan, a hundred-year plan. You know, this cool being a 130-year-old company that's still on the bleeding cutting edge of today. And, you know, we talked about one knob and we, and we talked about the Brukowski and, uh, we talk about how, how we can add longevity, not just in the, the console hardware lasts, but we just added Brukowski to a, I don't know, when did you buy your first PM 10 or seven? I don't, I don't, I can't remember what you guys got at Bayside, but we have but, a couple sevens and a couple fives, but yeah, it, as and soon now as they you were get available, a dynamic noise suppressor and you get an updated set of, um, of we got multi-band and you get a Brukowski really. Yeah. And that yeah. costs you. Oh no, so those are free. Yeah. So, right. um, it, it's not just the longevity of the hardware and we work with manufacturers, you know, we work with the chipset companies and we work with, you know, the down to the screws. It's not a Yamaha screw, of course. Right. But we have to, we have to know that we're going to be able to get that screw or that chip or that thing or that piece of wire for an awfully long time. 
And those screens say going back to a, an M7 screen or a, or a PM5 screen, you know, think about if you were the guy that was the screen manufacturer, you're going to have to manufacture that screen for a long time because you have a contract with Yamaha that's going to be for a long time. You're going to have to build that screen probably way longer than you ever thought you were going to make that screen for. So does that cost money? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And and does it work all the time? Yeah. Yeah, it does. And does it work reliably? Yeah. Yeah, it does. So all that goes into making that hardware work for a long time. Workhorse. And by the way, they sound really good too. I got to say I'm like a <laughs> yeah. Yamaha guy, but they, they sound great as well. Yeah, okay. So it, another nerdy question. I When I first demoed PM and Ravage, I used tracks that were recorded on a Generation 1 Rio. But it sounded different on the PM7, PM10 that I put those tracks through than it did on my CL5. Like a lot different. Yeah, so now back to R&D and back to people that were on NDAs. We had a we had a time when we could um when we could and our air quotes again, we could upgrade some things and we thought we thought it would be safe to make a subtle color change in Rio D2s. And um it's no secret there's only about four ways to make a mic preamp. You ground it this way, or you put a thing in, and you put a capacitor, and you put there's a there's a five or six parts, and there's there's a couple of ways to ground it. So sorry for everybody that says, "Oh, my mic preamp is like the bomb, and it's like whatever." There's <laughs> five or six ways to do it. So we 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 set out on a we did it in L.A. and Nashville and um, New York, and then it went to. I think London and France. And we had six different mic preamps in pairs. And one of them had a say a 50 50 cent capacitor and one had a $5 capacitor. Don't don't get me don't don't nail me down to how much sure. they cost, but it was a factor of 10, right? And and no one picked the most expensive mic preamp. No one out of I don't know, we had a a ton of people that listened to this. Nobody nobody picked the most expensive one. Then they would get to, we just had two manufacturers. They were the same mil spec. They were the same everything. They were electronically the same. They were grounded the same. And someone would say, well, B had more space than C when you were listening to them in stereo. And and it was it was it was about 90% of the time users, engineers would would flock to one type. So if we did it in LA, 90% of the peak people would pick B. Well, that's interesting. They never pick A and they never hit C and they never hit F. Interesting. So we we sound people, we we all kind of think that we know what we like, and it's it's true. And and the second one, the 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 10% that didn't pick that would all kind of flock to the other one. So we'd have 90% pick one and 10% pick another out of six. That was, that was wild to me. Right. So we want, not only we want color, we want, we want, we want a uh, pleasing. We, we, we won't pick so colorful, but we like space. 
how does that work? I, I have literally no idea because they measure from zero to Nyquist on the audio precision machine. They all measured the same. And yet 90% of the people picked B. I, I don't I don't get it. So yes, you're one of those. And is that anything to say that a that a Rio D1 is is not so great? No, Rio D1's a great mic preamp. Does it sound different than a two? Yeah. It's a little younger. Yeah, we we make some choices, right? Does it sound like an M7? No. It, it, uh, M7 was then. Does it sound like a DM2000? No, that was then too. So, um, yeah, it was just a time to make a change, and I think it's a good change, actually. No, it is. They're fantastic. Why is it though that if I play my tracks back on a CL recorded off? doesn't matter and i take those same tracks and play them through a pm10 it sounds so different is it just the nature of the bussing the summing of the console also being better yes all of those things okay um some of it's probably sample rate there, there's a there, you, you can't you can't say Oh, it's probably that. That gets back to that first mic preamp thing. Well, yeah. it just sounds better because this has better mic preamps. These are inspired by this people's mic preamps. No, it's the sum of the parts. Yeah. Some of the parts. Um, but a CL console is great at $40,000, $50,000-ish, roughly. I, I There's a great thing about R&D is I'm, I stay out of the sales part, so I couldn't tell you, I couldn't quote you prices. But Yeah, they're a lot cheaper a, than that. But a CL... <laughs> A CL5 is really great in that price domain, and then I, I should hope that a that a PM7 at a hundred sounds better. I hope it does. Right? Yeah, it, yeah. It, yeah. Some of the parts, it certainly does. Well, Dave, thanks a ton, man. I mean, we could go on and on. I love, I love hearing stories, and I love hearing your perspective. But most of all, I love hearing from an R and D technician how important it is to be about the music first because music it's, first it's, it's the song so, man it's, it's so song. easy to get bogged down in bits and bobs and you know all that stuff but man if 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 it doesn't contribute to the music then it's not important so i love that perspective awesome well this has been super insanely fun guys this is great and uh well, we should probably do it again sometime. This is fun. I don't know. You're on episode 56, maybe seeing a another couple of 25, add 25 or 32. Let's do it again. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Dave. Well, how cool was that? Man, I love Dave. He's the man. I so, love Dave Hatmaker. So smart and so generous with his knowledge and time and just his heart for not only his products and what Yamaha is doing, but just for the church and wanting to help church guys get better. I just, I love it. I know he's, I don't, I don't mean this disrespectfully to you introverted engineer types, but it's so fun to talk to Dave. He's just like his personality, who he is, you know, all that. It's just awesome. Love it. Well, um, I think we should talk to, uh, more people about this DAW console debate. I do too. And what's gotten me sort of more and more intrigued because we mentioned it the first time we even talked about this because it kind of has been running a parallel path to the whole template issue as well. Right. I think you and I 
need to create, in collaboration with other members of our tribe, some console show files based on real tracks that people could use as a way to practice and as a starting point and as a, not a template that says, no. hey, this is going to fix all your problems, but just, hey, here's a show file with 32 inputs that you can use right. as a way to kind of practice. And it's a, it's a learning tool. Yes. Why don't we use do that? This, use this to be inspired. Use this to help you spark some ideas for you to go create your own file. Listen how this snare drum track works with this EQ you see there, and then go make your own. Don't use this as a template to make your broadcast mix sound better in 30 seconds. Right, because that's not possible. Because I can, it's funny, I could take your show file with the same band on stage and I would make different choices than you do just because of my sure. preferences and because of how I hear things. So right. I think it's I think it's really important to clarify what we mean when we talk about templates. So let's do let's do that. Let's okay. get people some actual tracks and we'll just do different show files for different consoles and let them use that as a jumping off point. I like it. And let's go talk to some other manufacturers about consoles and software. I'm in. All right. We'll see you next time. I'm excited. It's awesome. Cool. <laughs>